The views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute legal advice. A podcast is not a substitute for retaining a competent, licensed attorney to advise you on your specific legal situation. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. You are listening to the Break the Business Podcast. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week. I'm changing things up this week, listeners, doing it a little bit different. I don't have a long monologue for you this week. We're not going into the industry news. Instead, we're changing things up. I had an interview this past week that I'm going to play for you with Maureen Crow. Maureen is probably the most accomplished music supervisor, at least that I know, and probably anyone that's out there. You can put her resume up against any other music supervisor that's out there. She was the music supervisor for Wayne's World, The Bodyguard, Chicago, The Perfect Storm, a lot of the great soundtracks in cinema. She was the one who made those soundtracks happen. And you guys have been telling me week after week, Ryan, when are you going to get a music supervisor on this show? We want to hear from a music supervisor. We want tips on how to get placements in movies and TV shows and video games. So you know what? You talked. I listened. I am heeding your call. I brought you guys a fantastic music supervisor who's going to answer a lot of your questions about how to get more placements. She's also got some great stories about working in Hollywood for her whole career. It's going to blow your mind. And because the interview was so good and it ran for about 30 minutes, I just want the whole show to be her interview. Uh, So we're just going to get right into it and you're going to love it. You're going to learn so much. And I'm proud to bring this interview to you. Maureen Crow this week, Break the Business Podcast. Don't go anywhere. It's coming right up. She is an acclaimed music supervisor whose film credits include Wayne's World, The Bodyguard, True Romance, The Perfect Storm, and Chicago. She is also the founding president of the Guild of Music Supervisors and was the first female president of the Los Angeles chapter of the Recording Academy. Ladies and gentlemen, we are honored to have on Maureen Crow on the Break the Business podcast. Hi, Maureen. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you very much, Ryan. Oh, so, so exciting. My listeners for weeks have been saying... Why don't you have a music supervisor on the show? Can you get a music supervisor on? And I feel like not only did I get them one, but I got them like the tops (laughs) of music supervisors. So you're welcome, listeners. Um, For those who are not familiar with what you've put together, because so often music supervisors kind of lay behind the scenes, your film credits include what have to be objectively some of the best pieces of music supervision in Hollywood. I think... Anyone would put the soundtracks to Wayne's World and The Bodyguard against anything else that's ever been done in film. Even people who haven't seen those movies know these songs. Are there any films that have been made that where you see the movie and say the music supervision in that movie is Wayne's World good or The Bodyguard good? Like what's 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 at that level for you? Well, you know, it's a it's an exciting time for music supervision. Last year, um, we actually got our first Emmy award. And that went to Susan Jacobs for her work on Big Little Lies. So um, just because of the tremendous explosion of music and media that's happening right now and is going to continue, it's a fantastic opportunity to, to be involved in music and licensing music. And there's a lot of opportunity out there. So it's very hard to compare. Every every project is a different project. And there... Um, 
really is the focus of the style, the tone, the music design of a media project. So, you know, for people that are breaking into the business, I'm, I always think it's important to know yourself as the music that you think you best can deliver and that speaks to you and is something that you work diligently on every single day to make it the absolute best it could be because it's a very competitive business and you're competing with the world. You're competing with people from Finland and Australia and all over the place, but there are opportunities abound. So um, I think that for somebody starting out, there's aggregators, you know, organizations Mm. like Taxi, for example, who, you know, they do charge a nominal kind of fee, but it's almost like a gym membership, you know, and basically they will send out, they will let you know what people are looking for and you can submit your music and you will retain your publishing and all rights to your material. So So it doesn't get any better than that. Well, a lot of my artists that listen to this show, um, they, they often ask me about companies like that jingle punks and taxi and a lot of these Uh aggregators. And so I'm glad you mentioned them. Uh, can you speak even a little bit more about these companies? Um, what should an artist be looking for when trying to look at an ad- aggregator? Are these generally good things for artists to go after? Do you find them to be helpful to artists? Well, I think, you know, it's always a catch-22. You know what I mean? I mean, everybody, I think, is more educated about music rights and the value of holding on to their publishing. But, you know, the publishing was created so that there'd be a business. So you could offer somebody some vested interest in your material and therefore, they would be motivated to go basically work for you. So um, in my mind, yes, yeah, some of these companies like are, are, you know, are kind of either doing music supervision and doing publishing because of various economic needs. And, um, and there's a lot of, you know people that'll be like, oh, we just, we'll just represent you. The reason I like Taxi is that Taxi is not involved in, once the song is placed, they don't get any back end. It's all completely theirs. The other companies, obviously, and, you know, there are people that will pitch your music and take 50% of the publishing. That is not, you know, for good, because for them, they have to deal with volume. They have to go after this. And, you know, to say that you get a percentage of like a $1,000 fee is like not really, you know, if you're trying to live on that, you would have to have so much volume and overhead. And, and then the whole reason that you want somebody like that to do that is that you want their time and attention. The main thing is keep working on your music, you know, and, and get, you know, it's one fan at a time. If it's live, if it's licensing music to a local advertising agency, reach out to the local TV stations, radio stations, let them know that your music, maybe they'll use it as a bumper or something. You know, it's like you, you do have to kind of be um, aggressive, but positively aggressive. Let them know it's consistency. You know, like you reach out to somebody, they may even take the call, but you call back two, a month later and then a month later. And it's like, so that person knows like you're not going away. You're going to keep doing it. And so many times when I do classes and whatnot, I give out my phone number. I give out my email and maybe 1% will ever reach out to me. Really? And start and start a relationship. Yeah, which is basically a relationship. Like I have a student in Syracuse. I have one woman who followed me actually from New York from a panel I did. When she came out here, she looked me up. She would check in every couple of months, let me know what she was doing. I'd get her involved in things, you know, all that stuff. You, you know, everyone says it's who you know, but it's like, yes, but it's also who knows you. 
where are you going out? You know, how are you meeting people? How are you engaging? So I'm, I'm sort of hearing a, a couple different things here. You know, certainly there's no substitute for, you know, the best way to get, you know, sync placements is to make a good career for yourself and to work hard and to write right, good be music. Awesome. Like, yeah, be good, obviously. Yeah, that, that, that should be, just be the advice uh, we give good. every week. Not just good. Yeah. Awesome. But... But you all be like that. That's huge. But there's plenty of place, other places to work as your way to awesome. Yeah. You know what I mean? You don't have to start at awesome. You can start at, you know, working on your craft yeah. and being good and getting placed. And, you know, but I'm also seeming to hear from you that there is something to be said for people who know how to play the game a bit and meet the right people a bit. And you were saying that you get a deluge of requests, you know, to to get placed in mm-hmm. things. And so if I'm an artist is there anything in particular I can do to get on the top of Maureen Crow's pile? Like, what can I do to I, stand out? I can tell you, and as exactly consistency, don't expect me to answer your first email. Oh, okay. You know, don't expect me to answer your first email. And when your email, short and sweet, you know, like, hi, uh, I'm a songwriter in Atlanta or whatever. Um, I'm familiar with your work, and I thought I wanted you to hear my song. Your job is to create a relationship. And then if you're following people like, you know, my friend that has this 80s catalog, you know, he's been talking about, it, you know, he was trying to get it placed and doing it himself. I'm like, Jim, Jim, you know, people are calling big companies every day and just telling them stuff because how many companies can they call? How many things can they do? So but at the same time, um, this songwriter that I met at a conference, you know, she touched base with me every month without fail. This is what I'm working on. Here's the song. And I don't have anything for her now, but Mm -hmm. she keeps me in mind. And it's, you know, it's going to conferences. It's keeping away. And people are always like, well, I don't have time to watch shows. I don't really watch movies because they're busy making music. It's like, yeah, I understand that. But, you know, if you send, um, you know, if you're, you're not going to be saying, unless you, unless you're really going to put in the work and there's ways to get people's information, you can do that, you know, but then you'd have to get a game plan where you're going to be consistent. You're going to sit there and, you know, just let them know what you're working on, anything that's new, anything that's interesting. Um, even if it's for advice, you know what I mean? But just, um, be friendly and be short and sweet and consistent. Well, it almost sounds like there's something to be said for, as an artist, there's value in making your, you know, you as the music supervisor's job easier. Like if you can say, instead of just saying, here's oh, my music, absolutely. do you like it? Say, I've been really listening to, I've been really watching this show a lot. I think this song would be a good fit for shows like this because it's got, you know, X, Y, and Z on it. Like anything that kind of exactly. bridges the gap for you, right? Oh, Jennifer Pikin, huge fan of This Is Us. Congratulations on your Emmy nomination. I love the show. Here's my song. I hope you might, it might be helpful to you in doing the show. See, I think a lot of times people think like, Hey, you know, make me successful. And it's like, great, (laughs) great. I'd love to make you successful. And the way I can make you successful is for you to be successful with making me successful and the film (laughs) successful and the song successful. So, you know, that's how the turn has to be, you know, it's like, has to be like, okay, so how, so, and you might not have a song for this is us. You may have, a hip hop song or whatever for Atlanta. You may live in Atlanta. You may be looking for opportunities to get there, you know, to, to, to find people that work on that show or what it is or get your music on there. It's like, well, you know what? ASCAP, BMI, 
They have branches there. It's a big city, Recording Academy. Get involved. Get involved with your peers, and therefore you will meet people that will help you to achieve your goals because they do panels, they do all kinds of things, and you just have to put yourself out there and connect with the right people to, you know, which you can at studios and, you know. In other words, you can't stay home behind your, you can't stay in your studio and close the door and create music and think, oh, they're going to come knocking on the door and find me. <laughs> that would be great. And if it's a hit, believe me, I would love to have that tractor beam. <laughs> but <laughs> sooner or later, you're going to have to leave the cave well, and go out there and either play it for people or, or you know, you know, try to find people that use it, which is going to be other people that you don't know. Because guess what? They're in the media business. They're spending all day. They're not spending all day in the studio. They're out there in editing rooms and stages and dubbing stages and script readings and everything else. So your job is to make, like you said, make their job easier. Now, you said earlier that there is value in being persistent when, you know, emailing, you know, somebody. But not annoying. Yeah. So let me ask you that. How do you, how do you sort of, how do you walk that line? How, how am I persistent with Marine Crow but not annoying you? Just Mm -hmm. give me information. You know, like if you want to get in touch, it's like, hey, like I said, like, you know, this is a great time. And you can probably find a directory by Variety or Billboard or certain things like contacts of music supervisors. And you can look up Emmy nominations and go, okay, these five people were just emanated for an, an Emmy. Do a, First of all, I should congratulate them all. Smart. They're very excited. <laughs> Secondly, I can let them know about me, short, and say you'll be in touch, but congratulations. Don't even do a pitch. Just congratulate them. And then a couple of weeks later, you know what I mean? Send them your pitch. One, your best song, if best material. If you don't know what your best material is, oh, I have so much, find out. Go out, play it for people, get people's reaction. People you don't know, you know, again, you know, act like your own kind of industry. And then once you feel like, yeah, I feel really strongly about that, even based on the music supervisor, based on what the music supervisor works on, you know, so if it's This Is Us versus Stranger Things, and you look up Nora Felder and you find out that she also did Californication, you know, and you get an idea of what style of show she gets, you know, she's been working on, that'll help you decide whether you have stuff to feed to her, that at least is going to make an impression. And it better be good because you only have one shot at making a first impression. Wow. So if you don't think it's worthy to be on TV or on a six-foot screen with surround sounds and people munching on popcorn, don't send it. You're not going to toot your horn, so I'm going to toot the horn for you, Uh, folks. Maureen was actually instrumental in helping music supervisors get you know, Emmy consideration. Um, That was a big initiative of yours as the as the founding president of the Guild of Music Supervisors, correct? Yes, it was, you know, well, I've been very fortunate to have a very long career. You know, I started, I grew up during musical theater. And so uh, I was fortunate to work on the television series Fame. And, um, and then went into movies. And I had already been working. So I had been working for six or seven years, and then got into movies. And that was still kind of relatively a new thing. Um, Music supervision, Joel Sill was doing it, Becky Mancuso for like Footloose. Uh, Joe Silver, like La Bamba and Forrest Gump and all those kind of movies. And I kept and then when I did Wayne's World and the, and the Bodyguard and, and then leaving later Chicago, like 10 years later, I would go to all these awards shows for editors, music editors, sound, and they would all thank me. 
<laughs> oh, and thank Maureen Crowley, music supervisor, for pitching I Will Always Love You for the bodyguard. <laughs> it's like, you know, Whitney Houston thanked me. It was, you know, fantastic. It was great. But uh, as time went on, you know, and I was doing different things, people said, oh, he's wonderful. Did you did you ever win an award? It was like record-breaking soundtrack, you know, album of the year, Grammy album of the year, you know, um, Grammy soundtrack for Chicago. And I'm like, no. No, never. Where in both of those cases, I put the whole thing together from beginning to end. There was no question about it. So it was a very emotional thing because, you know, supervisors were kind of like, oh, you're that music person, the media people and the media pe- and the music people. Oh, you're that media person. You know, nobody was kind of taking you as your own. And I'm like, hey, who signs your checks? You're a media person. That's it. You know, so. um so that happened, and then we decided, you know, I said, well, if you want to form this guild, we'll do it. And so we did that, got voting rights at the Recording Academy, award status at the Recording Academy. And so that now, if being on Chicago and The Bodyguard, I would have gone home with two Grammys. I would be, you know, two <laughs> Grammy award winning, but not yet. Anyway, so... Um, but really, that was, I mean, I just felt like, you know, this is too important and too many things going on. And I just didn't want people to, to have the same experience I had that I felt was not just unfair to me personally, but just unfair to the craft. You know what I mean? It was just unfair to music and the value of music and what they were bringing to films and television shows. And, you know, people like to beat up on music. It's like, you know, no, no. Yes, like we're, it's grateful for the opportunity, but you're welcome. We made the we made the the movie the TV show the experience better. We make your life music makes your life better, wow. makes your story better. You know, it's music is a wonderful thing, and it's kind of gotten beat up the last decade or so. And yeah. it's kind of like, hey, so um, it's really all part of that general effort. So, and then the next thing was getting um, recognition from the Television Academy, and uh, and so now I just became a member of was voted in or endorsed as a membership for the motion picture academy so i'm very excited about that and having worked in this business a long time on those films it's really nice to be part of that recognized by that community for my efforts in film well you and the rest of the music supervisors out there certainly deserve that recognition and independent artists of course are very grateful for the work you guys do because it creates so many opportunities for them and that was an amazing retelling of you know the incredible achievements you've had for music supervisors but i need to go back to something you said there and you passed over it very very quickly and i need to i need you to clarify this because this is because like you just you just sort of like ran right over this and this is like incredible are you, are you telling <laughs> did you just say on this podcast are you telling me that the reason why whitney houston covered i will always love you for the bodyguard was because of you well it was, I was hired um, by Kevin, and actually Kevin endorsed me for the Motion Picture Academy. Costner. Because right. I was really hired for my organizational, like, you know, we need someone to help with these recordings and stuff. And then what happened is um, Whitney was supposed to sing What Becomes of the Brokenhearted by the Four Tops. And, um, wow. and remember, the film is called The Bodyguard. Right. And in the storyline, he takes her on a date, right? Right. To his kind of bar. So... Um, and that's when they hear what becomes the brokenhearted and they're dancing. And then at the end of the movie, she sings it back to him and it's about the bodyguard's life. But, you know, you slow, but what becomes the brokenhearted down, it becomes a dirge. And we were really struggling in the studio. No offense to the song. It just, you know, I walk alone, bitter and afraid, yeah. you know, it's just like, I want to kill myself, you know? <laughs> 
So um, that's probably not really, hitting number one. I really can't live without you. I mean, that tempo really sells is a really intricate part of the song. So it's it's harder to slow it down, in my opinion. And it happened that Paul Young covered it for Fried Green Tomatoes and it was climbing the charts while we were shooting The Bodyguard. And I said, you know, we also we can't use it. And Kevin's like, well, I know the cover of it. I was like, yeah, but, you know, it's kind of like the movie's coming out six months after this. That movie's going to be a big hit. The record's not going anywhere but up. It just seems like you lifted the idea from that movie. It'll just, you know, carry baggage with it that doesn't need to be here. So we agreed to find another song. So it's like, what did the bar look like that he takes her on the date? Because we hadn't shot it yet, obviously. And it was, they said, because she refers to the song in the scene. So we had to have the song before we shot the date scene and it was sawdust on the floor hot dog working man's bar some guys have cowboy hats but not a country bar you know it's like a california working man's bar is how they described it i was like well you know they danced to oldies in the jukebox motown i said really you know it's like they could also oldies would be like jackson you know um would be like earth um the eagles and and uh, jackson brown and that kind of stuff. They're like, yeah, 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 whatever, you know. <laughs> and I remembered the song I Will Always Love You from uh, Linda Ronstadt album, Prisoner Disguised. It was an album cut. And I had worn that album out when it came out, you know. <laughs> and um, because you had to find, and this is where the experience working on fame and the musical theater really came into play. Like everyone I had worked on on fame knew immediately the whole process because we had done it every week. How do we get to A to B? What does the song need to say? And um, basically, you had to answer the question, what would she sing to someone that she had an affair with, had saved her life, and basically was never going to see again? So, you know, bittersweet memories. Right. You know, I will always love you. <laughs> and um, and uh, we had to have a, a country version of it. But there's no question that this is Kevin's pick. You know, he this film was Kevin Costner from beginning to end. None of this would have happened without Kevin. So basically, I did my job and he was very happy with it. And then he, you know, uh, told Whitney he'd like her to sing this song. And she said yes. And of course, David Foster knew the song. I spoke to David about it beforehand. And and it's a songwriter song, you know. Yeah. Everyone knows that song because it's a great song. It's like when Bob Dylan wrote uh, Make You Make You Feel My Love. <laughs> Everybody was covering that song, jumping on it. <laughs> so, and and Whitney was just, you know, phenomenal. I mean, it was just really kismet. Everything kind of came together. I do think it was, it was a phenomenon. Certainly, it's still the biggest selling single of all time. Well, you you um, caught and, lightning and in soundtrack. a bottle. Yeah. Yeah, it was lightning. Yeah, definitely lightning in a bottle. And I'll tell you how naive I was, you know, because again, I had worked in television and some film and stuff. I didn't really know the record industry at all. I obviously listened to a lot of music, but not the business side of it necessarily. And um, when it went to number one, I'm on the phone with David Foster. And I've told this story before. So, you know, so I said, uh, I said, so, David, yeah, this is really good. Like, this is doing really well. Like, this is great. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah doing really well yeah, it's doing really okay well. like and we were in a panel together with josh Groban for the recording academy and i told that story and dave i told him like oh, i was so even david's like uh, oh yeah i remember that i thought you were kidding i thought you were being facetious <laughs> like it never occurred to me that you really thought like oh this is really neat <laughs> so um you know that people in the whole you know lifetime so um 
It was really phenomenal. It was great. And I do think it was number one, a very rare thing, number one, a week before the film came out. It only had been out for three weeks before the film. And um, basically, you know, because it answered the question. I mean, people knew it was going to be a love story, but they knew they weren't going to be together. You know, really. You know what I mean? It wasn't going to be like, and then this interracial couple lives happily ever after in, you know, New Jersey, suburbia. <laughs> you know, she's an international song. So even the marketing of it set up this kind of like, what are the bittersweet memories in this big romance, you know? So, and it really did break down racial barriers. You know, Kevin was um, interviewed for the Whitney documentary that's out right now. And, and I think he said it beautifully when she got off that plane, when she was singing that song, got off that plane and ran to him and kissed him in that beautiful cinematic moment. It was like Rita Hayworth. It was like all, you know, Ingrid Bergman. It was all those big classic movies. If you're a big movie fan and it didn't matter that she was black. Yeah. Just a beautiful woman, and it just broke all these racial barriers just so easily and beautifully. And, um, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, so, yes, you know what? It was – I was definitely um, – yeah, it was, it was a good idea. Yeah. And I'm glad Kevin <laughs> decided to use it. And I'm, I'm glad Kevin decided it was a good idea. It, um, <laughs> well, yeah. That, I mean, because don't get me wrong. That movie is – beautiful and wonderful and i enjoy watching it and uh i do want to check out the documentary which is out in theaters now folks by the way uh the whitney documentary but i mean that i mean that movie took on the life that it did because of the power of that whitney houston recording and you know that doesn't happen without you know the work of a music supervisor so no and you know yes it doesn't and you know we also recorded that live on the set in miami and the fountain blue and um, so I have a very warm fountain blue. If you ever go to it, it's a fantastic hotel. But um, we had to get a truck. You know, people are like, we want to do it live. It's like, okay, well, guess what? You know, people don't have a lot of recording equipment just hanging around in Miami <laughs> in, you know, 1991. You know, it's all built-ins. They're not going to bring up their studio for one day. So I had a truck come in, and the production manager at the time was kind of giving me a hard time going like, what do you mean you have to, you know, get the Teamsters involved? We have to have a meeting about this. Isn't the tail wagging the dog here, you know? It's like, no, 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 no. This is the dog. This is why she's been cast <laughs> in this film. And this is what the bodyguard is protecting. So guess what? <laughs> we got to deal with the, we got to deal with the big truck and make it happen. Because a lot of films, you know, and, and nothing against them. I mean, you know, it, it is music is not used i mean on regular stories it's not there all the time so you know for most film companies although i think it's more common now than it was in the 90s it was always like whenever i would show up on the set they'd be like oh is there going to be music like are we going to be going late (laughs) we could be going you know um because everybody has to adjust now to this other element in shooting it's you know it's it's not just the lights camera and action but i love to say well you know we were here before sound we were here during the silent movies. There'd be a little orchestra playing in the background all the time or a piano player in the movie house. So there's never been a silent movie industry because there's always been music. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, well, I, I'm so giddy. That was I, I love getting connected to that piece of Hollywood history there and oh, you know, kind of getting no behind idea. the scenes in one of my favorite movies. That was so, so cool. Um, and it's going to be, all right, so weird to, to translate back to helping indie artists, but we need to do it. Well, let me close with this question because I'm excited, of course, to ask it to you of all people. Do you have any last tips to share with the indie artist listeners out there to help them move their careers forward? 
Yeah, I would, um, you know, if you, if you're writing songs, make sure you have instrumental versions of everything. Um, I think that you do have to have an eye on where you think, like spend a week, spend some time, immerse yourself in media to say, I could have been in that commercial or I could have been in this. And the internet has so much information, you know, that goes on. There's Sync Summit has, you know, podcasts and all these things. So, you know, there's names and information out there. I would just um, make sure it's tight make sure, you know, a lot of people, independent artists, and that's why aggregators, I hate to say it, you know, they can take the risk in terms of taking the licensing because, not taking that, but doing all the licensing work. So, you know, we have to make sure that all the paperwork and legal stuff is tight. I did go through Taxi for a piece of music on Houdini. Um, it was kind of an unusual piece. They wanted it to sound period and contemporary at the same time, kind of um, musically in period, but using instruments, contem- more contemporary instruments, you know, but maybe with little touches. It was a little tricky. Anyway, um, it was just a source key. It was instrumental. I put it out there. A guy in North Carolina sent me this track. I said, this is great. Uh, license it. What's your story? He goes, well, I'm part of this band. I go, great. We're gonna write so- I'm going to write something up, send it to him. I need all the band members to sign it, that they understand that you've written this song, that you're taking sole credit for it, that they have no connection with this piece of material, and that's done. And that's what he did. So, because a lot of times if I have any question about the origin or anything, and it's very important to be upfront, you never want to misrepresent yourself. And if necessary, get a great attorney because, or, you know, read a book, get some things or whatever, and be respectful because if you screw somebody in a deal or something gets funky, or all of a sudden something gets weird, you may never get that connection back. There was a pop songwriter, very successful wrote a song, Boz Lerman used it in a movie. Supposedly he was the only writer, except he forgot that an engineer that helped him record it had the assumption because he had told them him he was going to give them 50% of the song. Oh. And in fact, when the engineer died, he went to the funeral, played the song at the reception and retold the story of giving him 50% of the song. Oh, no. <laughs> So when the family saw the film, big Boz Lerman hit, they were like, hey, where's the check? Oh, man. The writer's like, well, who would think they'd ever find out? It's like, it's, <laughs> <laughs> who would think they would not find yeah, out? You know, so that guy was banned, banned from the <laughs> studio. Cost the studio a lot of money. I can imagine. And they just don't like to, like to send that message. And he's doing a little bit of television now. Oh, wow. after 15 years. Wow. Yeah. So don't people, it's a small industry and people have long memories. Wow. So save yourself some trouble and just, you know, everybody's very busy. So just keep it tight. Keep it clean. That's my best advice and keep doing great work. Thank you so much for your guidance, for your amazing stories this week, Maureen. I know it. People are going to love this stuff. This is something that's so important to my listeners, and I very much appreciate your insight. Please don't be a stranger. We'd love to have you on again to hear more stories soon. Sure, we will. Maybe we can talk a little bit about the Emmy. You guys, that'll be everybody's assignment to go check out the uh, Emmy-nominated music supervisor show and, you know, or a scene or something. There's always something available somewhere. Okay, (laughs) bye-bye. Sounds good. All right, take care, Maureen. Thanks, bye.